Amen. Tonight, I have one simple question for you. To what, to what do you clean? Cling. Apparently that question is not as simple as I thought it was. To what do you cling? Last week, Daniel began this series that we have right now about the resurrection. And he exposed from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, how Paul is teaching his readers, which was first the church of Corinth, and now is churches everywhere, that we are to cling to life. After all, that is the message of the resurrection, right? The message of the resurrection is life, that Christ was dead and now he is alive. And we are to cling to the resurrected life. Tonight, we're going to see in verses 3 through 11, before we continue in chapter 15 next week, that Paul is calling his readers to cling, to hold tightly, to hold fast to grace. You know, um, in our culture, there is a very prominent theme that exists throughout all of our um, existence. Each individual person, especially in the Western culture, is encouraged or at least, um, at least goes through some sort of a journey that has been dubbed self-actualization. Are you familiar with this term, self-actualization? You may know it as um, finding yourself, right? That's a big theme. Usually it happens, uh, most people think it happens during adolescence, which right now people think is around high school, college age. People go out and find themselves. It's kind of an ambiguous thing, but if you, if you try to nail down what it exactly means, it seems that it means something like being fully alive and being able to find or create meaning in a seemingly meaningless world. Okay, so it's, it's, those are the two main tenets of self, self-actualiza- self-actualization. Being fully alive, right? So it's, it's trying to find and tap into what, what is it about life that makes me really, really feel, feel alive, feel filled? Where do I flourish? And also, how do I inject meaning into this world that sometimes seems so meaningless, right? Um, from natural disasters to um, unnatural disasters like uh, terrorist attacks or uh, people with such hatred that they would um, beat someone who is weaker than them. Uh, all of these things, uh, people getting laid off from their jobs, families being broken up, right? So there's so much meaninglessness in the world. So self-actualization also deals with how do I find or create, if I can't find it, meaning in this meaningless world? And regardless of your stance on how this happens, how we self-actualize, we'll see it a little bit here how Paul um, says that we do, but regardless of your stance at the beginning or the end, I want to first start by submitting that we as believers, need not just reject this concept of self-actualization. Sometimes, in the church, it is not necessarily scoffed at, but at least looked down upon, that finding yourself is a little um, cliche, and be careful what you do when you go and try to find yourself. Maybe you'll end up indulging in something that you really find that you like, 
and this thing may lead to your destruction. Those things are certainly true. But let us not write it off. Let us first seek to see what Scripture has to say about it and how the gospel can come alongside us in this journey and inject meaning itself into it. So, Faraday began by reading these words from Paul. And Paul makes two very, very strong factual points at the beginning. He is trying to defend these things with evidence. Okay? So, if we go back and listen, the first that we see is in chapter uh, 15, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. So he says, I came to you with a message. I delivered it. The most important thing I told you is this, uh, is what I received. That number one, Christ died for our sins. And that is according to the scriptures. So Paul is first addressing his audience by saying, look at these scriptures that you're familiar with. He's talking about the Old Testament. According to these scriptures, Christ has died for our sins. You see, a cool thing about this for our sins thing is that it it really means at least, possibly others, but at least two different things. Christ died because of our sins. In in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that um, Peter is talking to the church and he says, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body. So because of our sins, Jesus went to that tree. And then he answers, why? That we may die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Paul starts by saying, listen, Christ died for our sins. Christ didn't only die um, for our sins. He died because of our sins. It was our sins inside of him. He bore them. Took them upon himself like a backpack. Right? That's the the imagery. He says, I'm going to bear this for you. Pick it up. Your sins. My sins. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to put them on. And he goes to the tree. And he was crucified. He died for a purpose that we may die with him and live in righteousness. You see, um, it's really interesting that Paul and Peter agree on this and every other uh, New Testament writer agrees on this uh, dying and living thing. You see, the importance, uh, the first importance that he gives is that the death and the resurrection are, are always forever intertwined. Okay, so without the death, the resurrection wouldn't have happened. And without the resurrection, the death wouldn't have brought life. And so, in 1 Peter, we see here that Jesus, he he took up our sins. He bore them on the tree so that you and I may die and live. Live to righteousness. So he didn't just die because of our sins, but he also died for our forgiveness. It's hinted at there in 1 Peter, but listen to the way John puts this. He died for our forgiveness. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, that's John the Baptist, and said, Behold, look and see. There he is right there. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Christ died for our sins. When you read that, for our sins, think of it in, in two ways. He died because of our sins. It is, the, it, is, it is my sins and the sins of all people everywhere that put Jesus on the cross. He put them on. He bore them. But it wasn't just because of our sins that he died. He also died for our forgiveness. It was a purposeful death. It wasn't just a meaningless sacrifice, right? It had purpose. Now, it's really interesting that in the Old Testament, sacrifices had a purpose, right? But when you read um, some of the writers of the Old Testament that really got it, they understood. Moses and David are a couple of these. If you read the lines that they write, they knew. They had been given this knowledge by the Holy Spirit that although they needed to do the sacrifices for the forgiveness of the sins of the people, God had taught them a very important lesson. And that was that the sacrifice, the killing of the lamb, or the killing of the goat, whatever it was they were sacrificing, was not what actually forgave the sins. It was God that forgave the sins. And David writes in Psalms that, I know, God, that you do not delight in sacrifice, but you delight in a broken and a humble, contrite spirit toward you. So David got it, right? He knew that sacrifice wasn't about the physical sacrifice, but it was about the heart. And all of those sacrifices were pointing. It was almost as if they couldn't quite handle the weight of the sin. But one was coming who would eventually be able to bear the sins. So the, the contrast is that the sacrifices in the Old Testament didn't bear the sins of the people. The innocence of an animal cannot bear the sins of the human race. But Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and the eternal Son of God bore the sins of the people. And God looked on this sacrifice on that day when Jesus died and accepted it as a payment for the sins of his people. So Christ died for our sins. Um, Number two, this is the really exciting part that was firstly important. Christ was raised, right? Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4. Um, He continues his thought that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as one ultimately born, he appeared to me. A couple of things that are really exciting about the resurrection. Number one, Paul wants to make a strong defense. So he says, listen, this is crucially important. And church, we need to hear this today. It is crucially important that we, as followers of Jesus, believe these two tenets of the faith. 
they are of first importance. That Christ died. And that Christ was raised from the dead. A bodily, physical resurrection. Paul was trying to say, listen, this is not... Uh, some detractors have, have tried to say that this was hallucinations of the twelve and they were going crazy and they just saw a vision of Jesus. No, 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 listen. He appeared to Cephas and the twelve and he appeared to 500 men at one time. That's a pretty strong defense. But he goes further and says, don't take my word for it. Go talk to them. Some of them are still alive. Seek one of them out. Know this fact. Know this truth. If you know nothing else, this is of first importance. Church, know that Jesus Christ died and that he was raised to life. Many people, I'm sure, did go and seek out the witnesses of others. And others have written about it that are not in the the canon of Scripture, not in the Bible. And they have um, verified this as truth. Uh, I'm not going to be able to verify this as truth to a skeptic today. However, there are a wealth of resources out there if you are skeptical that you, in prayer, could dive into to seek out the same truth that Paul urged of first importance. Church, listen, of first importance. Get this. Christ died and Christ was raised. Why is it so important? It's important because of what I read a moment ago in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself, he bore our sins on this tree. Now, if he took our sins on this tree, then these next two points are the only thing that matters with regard to these sins. And they are that that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he gives a, a more poetic way of saying that. By his wounds, you were healed. This is the paradox of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That by the slaying of the innocent, Son of God, we might inherit life. He was wounded so that we could be healed. But church, we must of first importance catch those two points. Christ died because of our sins and for our forgiveness. And he was raised to life. So Christ died, he was raised to life. But let's camp here tonight. The third thing we'll see from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that we are to cling to grace. Listen to chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, those apostles he was speaking of in the previous verses. Though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is with me. As we cling to grace, think about it in two ways. Grace to you and grace with you. 
grace to you that was shown on the cross. That he bore your sins. That he took them upon himself. Uh, You and I did nothing to deserve Jesus being wounded so that we could be healed. Uh, A very simple understanding or definition of grace is that it is unmerited favor. Right? It's not grace when your boss pays you. you. That's merited, right? You worked for that. So it's sure, it's sure it's favor, depending on your paycheck, I suppose. It's favor, but it's not unmerited. So it's not grace. But grace is, uh, the way I teach it to Micah, is grace is when you get something you don't deserve. And it goes deeper than that. It goes way beyond that because that word favor has so much wealth, right? And grace is not just about getting something. But for a five-year-old, and oftentimes for this 28-year-old, that makes a lot more sense. It's when you get something that you don't deserve. So sometimes uh, grace in our family looks like this. Micah will walk up to Noah with a rock and smack him on the head with it. That happens. And Noah will cry and smack Micah on the face, and Ezra somehow gets in there and gets smacked. I'm not really sure how that works. Uh, He'll learn his lesson eventually. But there's a lot of smacking going on and a lot of crying and a lot of tears. And sometimes, as a parent, the best way for me to handle that is to come over to the three of them, sit them down, and say, listen, boys, it's not kind to hit one another. Jesus said, if someone hits you, Noah, you're to turn the other cheek, not strike them back. And that It's foolish, actually, to strike someone when they strike you. And he's saying, what, is, what does foolish mean, Dad? Uh, that, that's beside the point. But So it's sitting down, explaining to them the situation, and then saying, listen, here's the deal, boys. You all deserve punishment right now. Right? If this were the real world, you would deserve probably each of you to get smacked a few times. You may deserve, uh, if you did this in public, you may deserve to go to jail, right? There are consequences for what you've done. There should be. But listen, I'm going to show you grace right now. I want you all three to hug. I want you to apologize to one another. And I want each of you to receive the apology and say, I forgive you. Right? So they'll do it, usually, sometimes, reluctantly. But they'll do it. And Micah's the only one that gets it yet. He's five and a half. The other two don't get it. But oftentimes, Micah will come up to me later or say to me at night, Dad, thank you for showing grace. I deserve the punishment. Right? So this is, this is like a little picture. This is what grace is. It is when there is certainly something that is deserved upon us, punishment. And instead of that, we receive favor. And the grace that has been given to you and to me and to all of mankind on the cross. Paul uses the word here, toward. He says, um, his grace toward me. It's almost as if um, there's someone pushing and it's good that in, in, in Paul's uh, thinking here, God is the one doing the pushing. That Jesus has pushed grace toward me. And Paul says, it was not in vain. So when you cling to grace, first, cling to the grace that has come to you. It's not meaningless. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. It has been pushed toward you, and it is the unmerited favor that the word of the Lord, the very Son of God, died and was raised 
for your salvation. It is that I, in my sinful state, am prideful and arrogant, and I deserve a lot of negative consequences. The Bible teaches the harshest of which is death, eternal death. But Jesus has pushed grace toward me. Cling to that grace that has been moved to you. And secondly, cling to the grace that is with you. You see that? It's easy to miss, but he talks about two types of grace. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. We'll get to that in a moment. But his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God was with me. So there's this grace that was pushed toward us by the word, Jesus, of God. And then there is this grace that is with us. You see, Jesus said in Matthew, very famously, people were beginning to worship him. People were were really starting to get, uh, at least his disciples, were really starting to follow him and, and really want to know what his message was. And he says, listen, there is one who will come after me. He's going to be able to empower you to do things greater than I even did while I was here on earth. And we know from reading further in the New Testament that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says the Holy Spirit will be with us. The Holy Spirit will be our comforter in times of distress. The Holy Spirit will be our peace when we are anxious. The Holy Spirit will be our joy when we have been given to gloom and depression. The Holy Spirit will be our life when hatred and murder is in our heart. The Holy Spirit will be our humility when pride and arrogance are reigning in our life. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our generosity when greed is on our mind. So the Holy Spirit has been sent to be grace with you. Jesus pushed that grace toward you and now he has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit with us is why Paul can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Philippians 2.13, Paul says it a different way. He says, for it is God who works in you. God, the Holy Spirit, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It means, hey, listen, uh, this grace in salvation has been pushed toward you. Cling to that grace because you know that there was nothing you ever did to earn or merit that salvation. But also, there is grace that has been given that works with you. And this grace is to will and to work for the good pleasure of the one who pushed you the grace. Paul had his own journey of self-actualization, you might say. Paul was walking one day, the guy who wrote this letter, was walking one day on a road. He was headed to a town called Damascus. He was a persecutor of the church. Even by secular accounts, you might say he was an evil man. He would go about killing Christians in the streets. In fact, uh, it is famously noted in Acts 
that when Stephen, the great martyr of the Christian faith, was stoned to death, the Word of God says that those who were stoning Stephen came and as a sign of respect and honor took their coats off and laid them at the feet of Saul. Saul is this man on the journey to Damascus one day when Jesus appears to him. And Jesus gives him this message that Paul is delivering now. I died for you. I rose so that you may have life. Stop persecuting my church. Cling to this grace and to the grace as I go with you. And Paul's life changed that day. Suddenly, Paul knew who he was. Suddenly, Paul had found Christ, uh, Jesus changed his name from Saul to Paul. So that's confusion. That, that's why. He was Saul, the persecutor. He was changed to Paul. And Paul found in this new life fulfillment, completion. He found joy. It was as if he was dead and now he is alive. But not only that, you see, Paul went through a journey in meaning as well. At once, he went around finding meaning in lifting himself up. Uh, He says, uh, in his own words, that he was the most zealous of all of the zealots in persecuting the church. He was so prideful in his persecution, in the ways that he attacked Christians. And now, he finds meaning in instructing the church to cling to grace. You see, self-actualization or a journey to find oneself is actually a very, very important journey for each human to go on. The lie, though, is that the further you look inside yourself, the more clearly you will see how good you are. And you will understand how to look to people who have need and meet those needs. That's the lie. The truth of the gospel is, the deeper you look into yourself, the more you recognize your own sinfulness. The more I look into my own desires, the more I see that my desires usually lift up myself. They are usually the antithesis of all of those things I said the Holy Spirit brings. They are usually greedy. They are usually prideful. They are usually in excess. The Bible calls that gluttony. I want to give myself the most of everything that I love. Right? That's what I find when I look at myself. And the gospel says this is how you journey to find oneself. You go there. You recognize that ugly devil on the shoulder like in a 90s sitcom as yourself. And you look up. And you look to God and say, this is me. I I love myself. I want to please myself. I'm on a journey that only ends with me on top, regardless of who is below me. And it is in that state that Jesus died for you and he was raised to give you life. That is the journey 
to finding oneself that leads to true fulfillment. Jesus called it abundant life. It's not just about being filled, he said. My life, this life that I give, it's about abundance. It's abundant grace. It's more grace than you can hold. It's more love than you can contain. More joy than your face can express. This life I give you is so abundant that it will explode off the pages of your story and impact those around you. This is the purpose, church, of the crucifixion and the resurrection so that sinners like you and I, stuck in death, could lift our heads and see that Jesus Christ sought us there, came to us right there, picked us up, pushed grace toward us, and said, let me give you the Holy Spirit. He will walk with you. So church today, that not-so-simple question at the beginning, to what do you cling? I hope and my prayer is that we would answer it as Paul does. That we would not cling to our own efforts. We would not cling to our own um, uh, joys, our own, uh, f- our own desires. That we would not cling to our goals, but that we would cling to the most meaningful gift we have ever been given. The gift of God's grace shown to you through Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us what we do not deserve. Thank you for making a way for sinners to be recipients of grace. And tonight we look to you with our arms open and our hands open asking you to give us grace. Push the grace of salvation toward those who are lost in sin. Come alongside those of us who have faith in you but who struggle with living holy lives. Empower us with the Holy Spirit so that that grace may go with us and that we would be able to confidently say, like Paul, it is by the grace of God that I am who I am. And that the confidence we find in that truth would supersede any identity that we find in anything else on this earth. I am who I am by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this point of the service, it's an opportunity for us to respond to the message of God's grace. In just a moment, we're going to have Holy Communion It's a chance for us to come and and cling to the grace that God has given to us through Jesus. 
So in just a minute, we're going to invite you to come down the aisle, and there'll be a plate of bread. The pieces are already cut for you. As you receive that piece of bread, the words, Christ's body broken for you, will be spoken. Receive those words and cling to that grace. Take that piece of bread and you'll step over. There are two cups. One cup is wine, the other cup is juice. You'll dip your piece of bread into the cup of your choice. And the words will be spoken. Christ's blood poured out for you as a new covenant. Cling to that promise of grace. As Pastor Larry was preaching, I was convicted of, of, of being very similar to Paul in two ways. Number one, he said in, in verse uh, 9, he talked about how he was not even worthy to be called an apostle because he was a persecutor of the church. That's been me before. I've been a, 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 not necessarily a persecutor. I haven't killed Christians as Paul did, thank God. Um, some of you are relieved to hear that. Uh, but, I, but I have been very unworthy at times and felt lower than, lower than God's love could reach. It's in those moments where we need to cling to the grace that God gives to us. Now, I've been on the other side, too. In the next verse, he said, you know, I worked harder than all these other guys because this grace thing was working. But still... It's not about me being good and powerful. Even in my good works, it's still God's grace. So I am repenting today. The Christian life is a life of repenting. I've had a pretty good week. I don't feel unworthy this week. And I need to be reminded of God's grace. That the good week that I have wasn't because I was good. It was because I was attaching myself to God's grace more this week. And I want more of his grace. So in just a minute... We'll have a word of prayer. Let's prepare our hearts. And I want to invite you to, to, if you want to, come and pray at the front. You can do that before or after communion. There are some nice cushions here. After I take communion, I'll stand over to the side over there. Maybe you need uh, someone to pray with. I would be honored to do that if that would be you today. So let's prepare our hearts for communion. And let's cling to God's grace. Father, thank you for being worthy and far above our understanding. Thank you that this message of grace is challenging for us. Thank you that it goes against our natural way of thinking that we should get what we deserve. And while that principle does reign true and there are aspects of it in our lives that that we live as a result because there are consequences, Lord, we thank you that you have taken the ultimate consequence of death and you have defeated it. That you died for our sins according to the scriptures and that you raised to life to give us freedom and victory over those sins. May we cling to the grace and may we walk with your grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.